As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Jordan Lemos, current narrative writer on Ghost of Tsushima. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Jordan. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Very, very well. Um, it's it's a crazy time here, I suppose, for both of us actually. But uh, I'm in the one state in Australia that is going back down into lockdown because uh, we've been we've been hit hard with the with the second wave. Obviously, America is having its. Having We're still its on our first wave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> still in the first, maybe maybe the first and second are bleeding together. It's a yeah. It's an interesting situation as an outside observer. But now we're like. In, my home state of Victoria, where actually everyone else is kind of laughing at us around Australia at the moment, but we're we're unfortunately copying the second wave. And uh, I'm a teacher professionally. We're about to get uh, uh, locked out. Like all the schools are starting to get shut up shop again. It's 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 a weird sort of a time. Just when we thought that within our little bubble, within our little right. Australian bubble, we might have been through it, and it's or at least very close to it. Right. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, it's firing up again. So. How are things stuff. on your end in that regard? <laughs> um, yeah, kind of the same. I mean, we're just getting to the point now where some states are being like, you have to wear a mask, like it's actual law now, basically. Yeah, okay. But then you walk around and people still aren't wearing them. And so it's like, you know, they can't enforce millions of people not wearing a mask. So yeah, it's pretty I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know. Just have to hope it's going to. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not looking great right now, especially for some of the states that are still hitting their like max daily counts of the entire thing so far and it's just it's ridiculous yeah the fact that it's not slowed down at all is a is a worry so yeah he's hoping we can all find a way through it and in the meantime that the both of us keep ourselves safe and yeah uh, at least we have well good games after. coming out so well yeah exactly like, we have that, so. uh, <laughs> like one that we'll get to talk about shortly so uh, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to people from the game development scene from all around the globe and they share their stories, their experiences, and basically how they came to be in the, the current position that they're now in. But before we get to your career itself, I'd like mm-hmm. to rewind a little bit and maybe explore some of your experiences with games before you actually got involved in the creation side of things. What was the first video game that you ever came across and tried out yourself? Do you recall? Um, yeah, um, it was definitely one of my like earliest memories I actually have is sitting on the floor on the carpet in my living room with like a massive bowl of fruit loops in my lap and playing like the the first like legend of zelda like the the gold disc or the gold cartridge everything like that um that's one of my earliest memories i think i was like three years old and my at that time my uncle was living with me and my mom and dad and he liked games and he's only like 10 years older than me so i think they got it for that reason and i just obviously started super young and I think from that point on, like, it was always a hobby of mine. Uh, you know, I went from the NES and then Super Nintendo and then, you know, every console since then. And it's yeah. kind of just been this massive part of my life. And, you know, there was a huge chunk of it where, like, I never th- even thought about going into the industry. It was just one of those things where I was just like, no, like, I didn't even look into how you would do such a thing. It was just 
my hobby. And then when yeah. it finally got to that point, I was like, oh, wait, this is actually maybe a possibility I can do. Uh, and then went for it and got lucky. <laughs> Managed to get in. Yeah. Was there was there a game at all? Uh, sorry, were there any particular franchises that were a big big favorite of yours through that time? Obviously, you mentioned starting with Zelda, so I'm imagining maybe that carried on. But were there any other favorites along the way? Oh, boy. That is such a tough question. Um, for me, yeah, there's definitely been some constants throughout. Uh, one of the big ones is that uh, never horror games. That is from childhood to now. I can't play horror oh, games. Yeah, okay. Anything scary, I, yeah. I just can't do it. I can watch YouTubers and, and people streaming it and stuff like that. They get detached, so that's all yeah. right. Yeah, as soon as you give me that controller and tell me to walk forward, mm-mm, no thank you, because I'm, nope, I can't. It took me a very long time to overcome that hurdle myself. And then uh, editor of uh, the Player 2 website, he uh, Matt Houston, decided to give me Resident Evil 7 to review, at which point my hand was forced and I had to try <laughs> my way through it. But it actually changed my entire approach to them like i've really I've start, like resident evil for, for one is one that i've now actually i've started to topple down the well since seven came out i've played two remake i've played three oh, i've dabbled wow. in four like it's it seemed to break the back of whatever little huh mental issue whatever bit of baggage was there that was kind of preventing me from uh just taking those steps inside and then all of a sudden now you I, can because play them. it was forced upon me, I can play them. I didn't so, so you much basically enjoy got... playing it in VR, but that was... Oh, yeah, there, there's no way. I feel like that's a whole other level that it's like, even yeah. if you can play horror games, some people that like them can't even do VR. So you basically exactly. just got pushed into the deep end and were just like, all right, yeah. go swim, and then you had and, to. And I had to. Huh. Um, and so, you know, little things, like I made sure I'm not playing it at night, the lights are going to be on, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to, to just and crank the brightness right up in case there's meant to be something lurking in the shadows. I can maybe just right. see it beforehand, <laughs> yep. any of those sort of things. But uh, it's it's kind of broken the back of that whole issue. So, But I, I do understand the, the, the worries about horror games, and I do yeah. 100% relate, at least. So yeah, that's, I still that's, kind of do to an extent. <laughs> that's stuck around. Um, but, I mean, I was always a big fan of, of, like, the Mario series growing up, especially as a kid, you know, and, like, yeah. when the N64 came out especially and you get Super Mario 64, like, seeing that was, like, that blew my mind. and Revolution. And, that yeah, it was it was huge. Like, it was massive. Like, just the, the loading screen where you, like, grab his face and play around with it, I was like, <laughs> this is... This future. is the game, right? Like, yeah, I was like, I'm fine with this. I was happy with that. I spent hours just on that, just messing with this face and stuff, you know? Um, and I mean, the elasticity as it flings back in as you <laughs> Yeah, release, it's so like, it's great. I, you can't get tired. How do I get that as like a screensaver on my phone? That's all I want, just to be <laughs> able to, you know, grab his little ears and his hat and stuff like that. And do it in 2020. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we're getting a new Pokemon Snap now, finally. So why not uh, Mario's face game, I guess? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Why not? Come on, Nintendo. Mobile version, whatever. <laughs> That's what we want. Um, so, so obviously you then mentioned that yeah, you obviously lucked out a little bit and found your way into the industry, and we'll, we'll dive mm-hmm. into those specifics. But was was there a game or a, maybe a, a series of games you played, or even some particular point where you where you realised that being involved in the actual creation side of games was something you wanted to to be a part of? Because there's mm-hmm. obviously a big di- there's so many millions of people out there that sit and play games, but yeah, I'd imagine for everyone there there is a trigger moment. Anyone who, sorry, gets into the actual creation or being part of the development side, they must. I usually assume that there's some moment, maybe some game they've played, this revelatory moment. Where go, I want to actually make these things. I don't want to just play them. I want to be part of the creation. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, especially as a writer, it was probably 
it was probably Final Fantasy VII or maybe Final Fantasy X. Yeah, okay. I think because I was very big into RPGs, and obviously they're very story heavy. Um, oh, I was for sure. A huge reader as a kid, like I just read constantly. Basically, my you know my couple of hobbies were, if I wasn't reading, I was probably playing a game, and if I wasn't doing either of those, I was at basketball practice, and that was basically my yeah. entire childhood until I like graduated high school. Honestly, it was just like those three things. Feels quite um, familiar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like. I don't know if it definitely was that or that was the moment where I was like, I definitely want to, I would like to do this or got more intrigued in it. But I would say that at least showed me that, okay, there are these huge sprawling stories with a lot of characters all intertwined and interacting and stuff like that. Like I think it was maybe the first time that I was like, this to me is just as intriguing as a book. And I want to see what happens yeah. to these characters just as much as turning the next page to find out what happens. And I think that that did a lot for me and how I viewed the industry playing those games yeah that's awesome um and it sounds like yeah with the likes of final fantasy 7 and 10 uh you've got some really good taste that's for, that's for sure but uh yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could see how those games would inspire because yeah they are so story heavy and yeah. and uh the the characters themselves and the the kind of turmoils that they go through some more melodramatic than others in different yes. games <laughs> uh personally myself like final fantasy 9 is my favorite game full stop mm. Um, yeah, not just in the franchise, but across the board, and it was the characters and the the writing of mm-hmm. the and the characters that really uh, ingratiated themselves to me. So mm-hmm. I can totally understand that. Now, the career itself, how did that opportunity first? Uh, how did you stumble into maybe? Um, I mean, you obviously mentioned it was luck. How did you stumble into that first opportunity in the first place? I've got Frogster uh, listed as as your first kind yeah, of yeah, that was within my the first industry ever. experience. Yeah, yeah, which was um, right out of college. It was honestly around that point when I was about to graduate or right afterwards that that was honestly the time where I was like, I'm going to try to get into the industry. Before that, I think I had kind of not really knew what I was going to do and didn't really have this big plan, especially, you know, I got a bachelor's in English and creative writing. Um, I didn't have this big plan of like, here's what I'm going to use it for. I picked it kind of not at random, but it was at the point in my sophomore year of college where I had to pick a major and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was like, I'll try English creative writing that sure that sounds good I like reading and stories and stuff like that Uh, and it worked out and I really enjoyed it but there was never like that okay I'm doing this so that I can try to be a writer in the industry it was never like that I didn't have that moment for for a while and then after I graduated college my girlfriend at the time her pastor had a friend who was in the Bay Area who was like working at Frogster and they were looking for like customer support reps. So that was my first ever like role was like I was a game master in um, an MMO. Yeah, you were managing like in-game events and forums and a, lo- a lot of, I guess, consumer facing. Yeah, yeah, like exchanges. all customer service type stuff. People being like, ah, oh, my piece of gear got lost or stuff like that. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll give it back to you kind of thing. Um, but so I was in around the Los Angeles area at that time in California, and that was up in the Bay Area. And I, I drove up, did that interview, drove back down, and that's like a good seven hours each way or something. I did that in a weekend yeah. and then um, got the role, um, moved up there, and then basically within three months, they decided to shut down that office. So like I just moved my life up there by myself. I'm living in a little like six foot by 10 foot room maybe a bedroom in like a three bedroom with two other guys i've never met before um yeah the pay was terrible and now it was like i'm three months in and now i don't know what i'm gonna do um and thankfully there was another company that was hiring that um a couple people from frogster went over to and i got an interview there and that was kicks eye yeah yeah 
Um, so when I started there, I was still doing some customer support, then kind of moved up into uh, like a management role within for one of the games that we had um, at KickSci. Um, and it was around that time. Um, before then, I, I knew at that point that I wanted to be a writer. That's what I wanted to do, especially now that I was kind of like in the industry, you know, in much smaller studios yeah. and games and stuff. But I knew that was the ultimate Your foot's goal. in the door, though. Exactly. Um, and then there came a point at Kixai after a few years where they were creating a new game that they um, needed actual writing for. Because the other ones didn't really. They were they were on Facebook. They were more gameplay focused. And that was about yeah. it. They didn't really need story or anything like that. But th then when you know, League of Legends and everything was really, really blowing up and everyone was creating a new MOBA. That's what, you know, kicks I was making a MOBA too. And yeah. so while I was doing my normal customer support work, I was helping out with the writing that they needed on the side for the MOBA that they were creating. And after a few months of that, the creative director was like, why aren't you doing this for us full time? And I was like, I don't know. I can. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I totally can. Let's do it. Uh, so I moved over there. I did that. I was the one writer on the team because it was a very small team. Yeah. Um, so I was responsible, you know, for all the character backstories and lore and writing the the little quips that they say when they're, you know, like in League and stuff like that, all those kind of little lines that they have. Oh, yeah. Um, going, yeah, going down to Warner Brothers and like um, looking over some of the, like the voice recording and stuff like that and doing the casting. Uh, so like for one of our characters, we had Laura Bailey and that was just like the highlight That's of my career game. already. It was like first game I'm writing for. I'm like in Warner Brothers Studios, Laura Bailey's in the booth reading my words. I was just like on cloud, above cloud nine. I was way above that, you know? It was like just 10, one 11, of those 12. moments that I was like, I will never forget this. Um, no, that's that's a pretty awesome way to start yeah. <laughs> within that particular branch of the industry and what you're really shooting for. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, shortly after launch, I was only on the game for about a year because shortly after launch, they shut it down. And then I yep. had some some fun couple of years of like freelance work and unemployment while I was trying to get another writing job with a little bit of experience, but not really experience. Yeah, uh, I did kind of have listed, I had a little subheading for myself here, it just said transience, uh, this period here where you are kind of bouncing around between, so there was Fun Plus, Stormate, Skyborne, um, yeah. and those are just the three that I was able to find, there might have even been more in that particular mm -hmm. window there, as well as the fact that you were doing some game reviewing and opinion writing for uh, Gizarama as well. Yes, yeah, that's right, so, yeah, at that time. So yeah, you were really was... kind of bouncing around there over the course of about a year, year and a half? Yeah, probably a year and a half to right? two years. Um, yeah, a lot of roles that weren't exactly what I was looking for. Um, you know, I think one of them at Stormate was um, a puzzle designer. So it was like a match three game I was making puzzles for, kind of like a Candy Crush type game. So like I was yeah. doing a lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily writing. Um, at Fun Plus and Skyborne, I was able to do a little bit of writing, but it was like, you know, very minimal. It wasn't a full-time gig. It was basically, I was just trying to do whatever I could because, well, A, I needed money and B, I wanted to keep writing, and so I was just... Keeps was you like, in the I industry, do, keeps yeah. you in people's mind. I wanted to do just more of it, um, but it was a, it was definitely a rough time when I was just like, there came a point after maybe a year and a half or so where I was like, do I need to figure out another career path here? Yeah. Like, maybe this isn't in the cards um, because, you know, I'm applying to, you know, 100 plus studios for writing gigs um, and either never hearing back, which is a common occurrence when so many people are applying for roles especially in the industry um or i'm hearing back and just you know not the right fit which is a normal thing um yeah. but you know once you do that for a while and you know you're trying to get into you know specifically triple a which was my goal um 
I was like, maybe I need to do something else, and then um, got the gig at Ubisoft. And yeah, it's not not a bad way. Like after this period, yeah. <laughs> very very small titles, but obviously, yeah, getting to work with someone like Laura Bailey along the way. But uh, you know, this series of small titles and probably a lot of doubt creeping into your mind oh, at this God, point, yeah. as, as you mentioned there. Like, is is it for me? Should I pursue other things? How do I how do I juggle this? And then all of a sudden, Ubisoft, you, you just fall into their lap, I guess, or it falls into your lap, really. Um, yeah. Is there is there much before like before we really dive into Assassin's Creed Odyssey and mm-hmm. and the role and the time you spent there? Is there still um, much that you take with you from that period where you're working with these much smaller developers and much smaller studios and smaller scoped games? Mm-hmm. Is there much that you've been able to bring from that and apply to your time with uh, Assassins with Ghost most recently? Mm-hmm. Um, is there still much you can take from that period that really helps and has kind of served you well in your career since that point? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think the big one is simply getting used to... I got a lot of rejection in a short amount of time. Um, and unfortunately, that's you know common for people in every industry, and it's just a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think getting rejected so many times, um, really, there comes a point where it, it never feels good, right? Especially if you're in the interview process, and it's let's say you do the writing test, and you get some feedback, you... T- you you have a Skype call or whatever it is, or go yeah. to the office and then you don't get the role and you're like, ah, what did, what was wrong with me kind of thing? You know, you do have those thoughts still, but you know, now, like right now I'm looking for another gig after ghost and, yeah. um, you know, the, the rejection is still there, but I've gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, you know, that sucks, but that just wasn't the role for me. Totally understand it. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's much easier to deal with. So definitely the, the rejection is much easier to deal with now because of that period. And also because for most of those projects, I was, the sole writer for most of them, since they were so small, they were just looking for some extra, someone to come in and write some stuff. Um, you have a lot more, you know, agency and a lot more uh, responsibility for those kind of roles. Um, and yeah. you have to work quickly a lot of the time too. Cause there's, you know, there's times where they come in on Tuesday and they're like, Hey, can you quickly do this for us by, you know, Thursday or whatever. And you're just cool. like, yeah, totally. Um, not like I was doing anything else at the time anyway, so it was totally doable, but it definitely got me used to like very quick turnaround. Short turnaround. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is huge. Even in, you know, triple A games where sometimes you have to do a quick, you know, another draft really quick um, before it goes out or you need to make some quick edits or before it goes to recording or, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah, those are probably the two big ones that even today I'm still like, I took a lot from. Yeah. That's awesome. So after spending all that time in the Bay Area, then you obviously yeah you landed the role with uh, with Ubisoft, but that was in Quebec, is that right? So it was packing up and packing up and moving. Um, yeah, um, that was my ha- first was time that? out of the country. So I'd never left the United States, um, and I'd only seen snow once in my life up to that point when I was in sixth grade. So when I was around like twelve or eleven or twelve. Look, you're talking uh, to someone from Australia, so we don't <laughs> see much of it either. Yeah, I think so, I've had one uh, day in the last twenty years that I recall. So, <laughs> yeah, so you, you know what it would be like yeah, then to suddenly move somewhere yeah. where it's like the winter lasts five six months. You know, there's snow on the ground, or you Just know, it's snowing snow. or snow on the ground. Yeah, and it gets very very cold. Um, I had to buy like an actual winter coat and and proper boots for the first time and walk on like ice for the first time, you know, all of those kind of things yeah. that are just like normal for the people that have, you know, either lived in Canada on the East coast or, um, and that kind of, you know, weather was just a completely new experience for me. And so you have, you know, moving to a new country that I've never been to before with weather that I've never dealt with before. And, you know, in Quebec where you have like Montreal, which is bilingual yeah. for the most part, Quebec city was very, very French. Um, very French. Like it was pretty common to run into people that couldn't speak English around the city. 
So um, how's your French now? Very bad. Anything that I okay. had, I completely lost. Um, yeah, okay. Fair I, right. I learned enough to get around, you know, pleases and thank yous, and I would like one of these, please, and um, ask where the bathroom is. You know, all, all those little I, – I could get around, but – I didn't yeah, do a fair. lot of talking around town. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I went on my honeymoon with my wife a couple of years ago. Now we went off to we went off to France. She has a great love of the country, and she's actually studied a ton of it. But I, similar to you, no absolutely yeah. no French. So she knew it like the back of her hand, and I was just she can help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's nice to have someone to point so, to. You like, exactly the so, talking. Yeah. So I so, so I do sympathise in that regard, but. Uh, and, and you know, on top of all those things, the the weather and the the language and the the moving, you're mm-hmm. then going from these very small studios to one of the biggest names yeah. in terms of publishers slash studios in the industry. That would have been uh, quite intimidating, I'd imagine as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Not to mention think- the franchise you're working on. Yeah, I mean that too. It's like yeah, it's Ubisoft, and then it's also an Assassin's Creed, you know, project. Um, yeah. Both of which are you're just like. Okay, yeah, that's that's a lot to take in, um, and you think that that would do a lot for your confidence, and you'd be like, okay, cool, like clearly I'm good enough for this. But what it actually makes you feel is like, oh god, like I'm definitely not good enough for this. Like imposter these people syndrome. haven't, yeah, oh, hundred um, percent. That was when it really started for me, um, imposter syndrome wise. And there was a good point. My first, you know, six months to a year probably at Ubisoft, like I was, I was scared to speak up a lot because yeah. I felt like you know, a lot of these other people have been doing this for years or like they've been, they've made five, six, seven games already. Or, you know, even if they've been there for three years already, like that was a huge thing. And this was my first AAA yeah. game. Um, and so you have that feeling of like not wanting to speak up because, you know, you don't want to say something dumb or you don't want to like yeah. be that person that speaks up and they're just like, oh, really? That's your suggestion? And so you like, you have these fears of like not wanting to speak up and say something stupid and also believing that everyone else knows better than you do, even if that's not the case. Um, so it took. So how did you mentally overcome that little hurdle? Because it is a big one, and it's not just within your profession. It's you no. know everyone when they first enter a career in an industry, they're the small fish in a big pond, and it's it can be quite intimidating. So how did you get over that in the first place? For me, I think honestly the big thing I think was just time, and yep. then getting good feedback on the work that I was doing um, from yeah, okay. those same people. So I think when I was getting that, I finally got to the point where I was like, okay. I may not know everything about the industry yet and all the the inner workings and how all the teams perfectly work together and who I need to talk to exactly at what time. But I do know Belonging. writing and characters and story and I need to believe that I know that. So kind of when I was getting that good feedback and after enough time had passed, I did start, you know, speaking up more and, you know, throwing my ideas out there and everything because I started believing yeah. that I knew what I was talking about. And I did, you know, it was one of those things where it's like the whole time I did know what I was talking about. Um, I just didn't believe it. Yeah. Again, intimidating being surrounded by these very experienced or not even very, but you know, more experienced people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I can, I can completely understand that. Um, so we've obviously spoken about how the opportunity emerged in the first place. Are there any particular fact? Cause obviously uh, Odyssey was the one you were work, uh, working on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's quite acclaimed just this you know, little game that did you know, yeah. quietly. Okay. <laughs> it did. It did. Um, okay. But obviously, like there's there's the big sprawling narrative itself, which I'm sure would have been quite intimidating to inherit. The fact that uh, mm-hmm. you know we've got the, the 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 modern day stuff, which is you know minimal in um, its emphasis these days, yeah. certainly in comparison. But there is that history there, and obviously the franchise leans so heavily into you know real world history and mm-hmm. and what occurred there. Like, how how was that to kind of? Cause, I mean, I'd imagine the process that you're going into to develop a story around the setting would be very different to what you'd done up to that point. Right. How yeah. was that to kind of uh, work with? 
um, I mean, for the most part, it's less it malleable, I guess. Because yeah, it's a very rigid setting and time. Yeah, that definitely helps when you know the setting and time. It, it helps a lot. But I think the big thing, at least for because we had a fairly big writing team throughout the project, um, and depending on what part of the project, there was times where we even had other writers from other studios helping out and stuff like that, which is pretty common for Ubisoft. Yep. Um, they help out between studios. Um, but thankfully, a lot of the stuff that we were given, you know, was was decided on from people above us. So like the game director, creative director, our, our narrative director. So by the time yep. it got to us, for the most part, we didn't really have to do too much of the hard thinking about that kind of stuff. We kind of knew, okay, here's the character we're working with. Here's the area in the game we're working with. Um, and then maybe we'd go off with the quest designer and come up with some ideas for a quest, or they would just be like, yeah. here's the quest that we want. And we'd go. So thankfully we don't have to worry about it too much, but it is one of those things where, you know, Odyssey was the first one that did the whole branching dialogue things. So, like that was a new thing for us. Yeah. So they have a team that's trying to figure it out. Um, in the Ubisoft Quebec office, they never really had this big of a writing team before because they didn't need one. Um, yeah. So like that was new for everyone in the studio to get used to, to have a team just for writing. Um, I'd imagine that probably helped to break down some of that intimidating stuff that we were talking about before because everyone else's, regardless of the experience, is now experiencing this particular aspect for the first time as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, but there there was definitely some growing pains from other teams that were used to having to maybe do some of that stuff. And now it's like, oh, I don't do that at all anymore. My role is yeah. just this. So there was like some of that learning from a lot of other teams as well. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's always interesting when you you know do a game like Assassin's Creed because, you know, you're going to be in the past. Um, and so now you're being like, okay, you're going to do Ancient Greece. And you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, that's a really good setting. Um, I've taken, you know, a course in college at some point or high school. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I read some books that mentioned... I know history. Socrates and, and Troy and stuff like that, you know? Um, I saw Brad Pitt as Troy. I basically yeah, exactly. know what's going well, on. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So um, good to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is, it is a bit daunting because, you know, a game like that, um, obviously it's not... 100% historically accurate. Like, that's never the goal with those games. And I think a lot of people, yeah. when games are set in historical settings, they think, oh, so it's going to be 100% historical one to accurate. One. Yeah, and it's like, no, that's not the case. Um, there were some things that we did very purposeful. For example, um, like Pericles in Odyssey, he dies because of the plague. And that's what happened in that's what you know, real history. So there's big moments like that that we would stick to. But, you know, a lot of the how did we get from A to B, you know, was up for interpretation or how yeah. did this character exactly act? It's like... We have some writings, but even for some of the writings that we do have, we're not even 100% positive if that person wrote them in the first place. You know, oh, like yeah, there, of course. there's yeah. some Could actual like, Socrates writings where they're like, we actually think that maybe Aristotle wrote these ones. So like maybe Aristotle's putting his own spin on it. You know, there's just stuff like that. So there's scope for you to be a bit more liberal, I guess, with, with yeah. some of and I think that's the nice thing. The, the further back you go, and since this was the earliest uh, game in the series, we did have more of that freedom because there was just, you know, less stuff to work on. And a lot of yeah. stuff that you do have to work on is based on myth and the gods and stuff like that. Um, but so in a way it was more difficult, but in a way, yeah, a lot more, a lot more freedom to kind of explore the ideas and the characters and stuff like that. Did you have any particular, or do you still have any particular favorite uh, quests or, or storylines that you were significantly a part of that uh, still stick out? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think anytime I got to write, you know, I didn't write all of Socrates, but I did a big chunk of his stuff. Um, and I did his side quest line and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then that was a big undertaking because it's, you know, one of the few characters that everybody has heard of going into this game as yes. opposed to like, you know, 
most people have probably heard of, you know, Pericles and Herodotus, maybe, um, but yeah. not everyone, whereas Socrates, people have at least heard in passing, you know. Um, so that was a bit daunting to be like, okay, you're going to write this character that everybody knows, basically, or at least has heard of, but also... Like, I'm trying to write this character that's far smarter than I'll ever be in my life. And I have to, like, <laughs> pretend to be this far smarter. You, you got to smarter. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I am this smart person who's, you know, kind of a dick. But, like, I am him, you know, and, like, trying to be him. And, like, it's it's a weird how thing. How do you speak? How do you act? How do yeah. you yeah, And it's just, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, I will never be this smart. I would never be able to come up with any of these things. Uh, but I have to pretend that I am by using some of the stuff that we have that he said supposedly and then also a lot of the stuff that like i was just writing as him which is just it's a weird thing to say that you like put words into socrates's mouth or something like that you know it's like yeah i probably won't have another time in my career where i write a socrates or a pericles you know this is probably the one and done or someone of that caliber yeah yeah but i guess i guess it would be kind of exciting in some way and uh, you know also intimidating but exciting in the sense that you've got this you've got this outline and you get to color in between the gaps and kind of flesh that out more again you know in a a fictitious way but um but still be quite exciting i'd imagine oh yeah 100 percent. i think you know there was a lot of cool stuff to the stuff that we did pull from his his real life and everything. So one of the the final quests that I think the final Last Tales of Greece, which was like the the free content we put out, the free quest yep. lines. Socrates had his, and it's like we got to put his wife in there because he was actually married. Um, the fact that um, Alcibiades was like pretty well known for trying to go after Socrates and hit on him and stuff like that. So we got to throw some of that in yep. there, and the fact that like his wife is not that happy about that. So it was cool being able to do that, but like in a yeah, in a more fun way and kind of just like. You know, you're not poking fun at it, but you're having fun with it, I guess. Um, and it is kind of a ridiculous situation with these characters that you've you've seen throughout the game this entire time. You know, Alcibiades is this very out there, very horny character. Yes. And you throw him with a character like Socrates, who is just like the complete other Polar end. Polar opposites. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you're talking about them being together and Alcibiades going after him and stuff like that. And it's just, it's... It was nice. It was a lot of fun, honestly. Anytime I got to write, you know, Alcibiades or Socrates was just, it was just so fun. The amount of sexual innuendos I got to write for Alcibiades is just great. And it's like, you get to set yourself <laughs> up for them too, because you're writing both, you know, you're writing like oh, you can play Cassandra game, Alexios yeah. and you're playing, you know, Alcibiades. So I'm like, all right, what do I want to set up for Alcibiades to say? Because I get to do both parts. So it's like, all right, I'm going to set myself up to say something about the bottom, but being on top. That's good. Yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, it's just like you're writing yeah, your you own can stuff. Yeah, you have like a lot that. of fun with it. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, um, I've got listed in terms of the timing that you were you were there mm-hmm. working uh, working with Ubisoft. I've got 2016 to 19. So that obviously we did mention you were talking about some of the those additional missions there. Does that mean you're also part of some of the the DLC as well? That, yeah, that, uh, the DLC. The, yeah, when I when stuff, I first yeah. arrived, we were in pre production. That um, we were still in pre production when I arrived, and then yeah, I was working on the project all the way through. Yeah, the Lost Tales of Greece, which is DLC, and then the uh, some of the DLC that we did in that studio which was, I think, the second and third one that came out. I didn't do a lot yeah. in those. Um, I was working on some other stuff at the time. But uh, I did get to do a little bit of content in there, like a couple of quest lines here or there, uh, yeah. which is cool. It's cool when you can keep working on a game after it's come out and also in a way different setting, you know, since the DLC was like, oh, you're going to Atlantis now. It's like just completely different. Um, and, you're, you know, you're meeting like Hades and, you know, Persephone and all those kind of characters and, um, yeah, you can really blow the doors wide open. On what yeah, exactly. It. So it's like the stuff that we were like hinting at or would talk about in Odyssey. It was just like, no, now you're full on meeting these characters, you know, yeah. um, which is really cool. 
What about uh, what about and so with, with the timing? I mean, I suppose it depends when in twenty nineteen you actually moved on. But um, mm-hmm. were you there when the so the, the DLC had come out and there was this this issue that kind of emerged with the depending on how players had opted to to play as either Cassandra or mm-hmm. Alexios and the sexuality thing there was that were you there when that kind of I popped think off, I, I was the conversation gone at that, that point. Um, and the weird thing about that one is that. That was the DLC. I don't remember who did it, but I think that was like yeah. um, there was another studio in charge of that one while we oh, were right, working okay. on, I think the second and third and the the Lost Tales of Greece. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, big studios. So there's other projects going on that people are moving on to. Or oh, yeah, Valhalla like was probably in conversation and all those sorts of things. Yeah, there's lots lots of stuff. People, you know, figuring out stuff after after a project launches and like where people are going to go next and what they're going to work yeah. on and you know what projects are going to stick around and what aren't and you know. Um, yeah, so I think I was gone for that at that point, but yeah, obviously I remember seeing all the the stuff coming out about it and everything like that. Yeah, because yeah, I'd imagine that would have been you know if, if you were involved and obviously you weren't, but that would have been mm-hmm. a, a an interesting one to I guess wade through because it would it, you know from from all intents and purposes it didn't seem like there was any intent whatsoever to be disrespecting the way the players had played up to that particular point. Sure, but it kind of it became this sticking point for a portion of the community there, and it would have been a challenging one to overcome in the in the writing sense. Um, yeah, and I and think what you're trying to establish. Yeah, that's a tough one, and I think like I, I completely get the people that are that took offense to it, honestly, because yeah. it is one of those things where it's like, you know, we're we're allowing you throughout the entire game, and maybe you've put 130 hours into this game so far, and you've yeah. played, you know, your Alexios as you know as a gay man and going after only men, or you know, you're playing Cassandra as only a lesbian, and yeah. now you're going into DLC Being with forced her, like, a certain way. Yeah, um, especially for a game that's you know touting choice and you know stuff like that. It's like okay, I made all these choices and I made the Alexios or Cassandra that I wanted. But now that's kind of being taken away from me. And yeah. sure, it's DLC, but it's still, you know, it's still a part of their story, we're saying. And so, yeah, for sure. it, yeah so I definitely, honestly, if I had played my character that way, like I would totally would be probably in the same boat. And I'd be like, this doesn't make sense. It's not cool. Like, why would you force me into doing something like this? Um, so I don't know, you know, how it came to that decision, or I'm sure there were talks about it or you know maybe it was one of those things that had to be quickly done or like who like who knows i have no idea um but lots of combinations and permutations exactly but i totally get the people that were upset about that 100 percent. i get that so at this point you're fairly well established at ubisoft and Mm -hmm. um you know you've got a few years under your belt you've worked on this yeah again small title yeah. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. it's really really successful uh certainly in the eyes of a lot game of the year candidate Mm -hmm. um how did how did the departure obviously you've gone from ubisoft over to sucker punch at that particular point was mm-hmm. it an opportunity that emerged did you did you feel like you needed to come back uh back to the us again what, what how did that opportunity kind of play out yeah there was definitely a few things that um kind of allowed me to make that move um the big one was that i i had been there for three winters already and i mean they take I thought so the cold much was going to come like, back up it again. was it was three too many. Um, it is rough. Uh, so that was a big thing where it's like I was kind of just done with the winters there and the weather, and I yeah. wanted to get back to something that I was used to, which is, you know, the West Coast. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to leave Canada, but also uh, a big thing was I still have student loans to pay off, and they're in American dollars, and yeah. the exchange rate isn't great when you're going from Canada to the United States. So basically the money I was making up there was – not great once you do the exchange rate, you know, like when I'm yeah, having okay, to still right. pay off 
loans in American dollars. So that was a big thing too, where I was like, I think I need to go back to the United States to make American dollars so that I can pay off my loans um, and also get away from these winters. And, you know, it was just, it was also that point in between projects where it's like, you can kind of start having those thoughts. And so I was like, I'm just going to start applying to places and roles that um, are interesting and just see what happens, you know? And, you know, I got the interview with Sucker Punch um, and got the role. And it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't even have to think about it. It was just like, I'm, I'm hundred percent taking this. Like um, I, I have to take this for one you know, it was back in the States, it was back in the West Coast. Um, it was still, I've never been to Washington, you know, I've been to Washington a couple times just visiting, but for very short periods, but it was still like a region that I was used to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was one of those games where I remember when Ghost of Tsushima was like announced for the very, very first time. And I remember watching that trailer and being like, oh man, it'd be really cool to work on that. And then because it was in development for so long that I got that chance. So I was like, you got the I opportunity. Get to, yeah, I get to go work on this game for a little bit that when I saw the announcement trailer, I was like, oh, I would love to work on that, but I would never have a chance to because obviously I'm working on Odyssey here and all that kind of stuff. Do you feel like uh, working on a game like Odyssey in that that historical factor, um, you know, based you know based in the past in a certain year, a certain mm. time, place, and location, and then the fact that Ghost is looking to apply obviously a different setting, mm-hmm. but there's a similar sort of idea taking place. Do you think that ha- carried you in pretty good stead and? maybe gave you that little leg up? Was that something that was going through your head at the time? Maybe gave you a little leg up over potential other applicants? Yeah, possibly. Um, I think it probably didn't hurt, um, especially yeah. for a game like Odyssey with so much narrative. Um, but yeah, especially the fact that it was a historical game. Yeah, even though, you know, Ghost is obviously set in a very different time period and, you know, region of the world. And, you know, it is one of those things where a lot of stuff that I learned while working on Odyssey, just like this, the amount of research you have to do just to make sure that some of the stuff some of the words you're using, it's like, would they actually use this word? Would they not? Um, And a lot of that kind of research mentality definitely carried over onto Ghost where it's like, uh, there's a lot of research to do on this now. It's like now, and in a way, it was difficult to kind of get out of the the Greece mindset into now, okay, now it's ancient Japan and also like, you know, 1500 years later or whatever, 2000 years later. Um, It definitely took me a bit of time to kind of, make that change in my head and there's a lot of stuff when even in my writing I was kind of writing stuff that I maybe would have written as if I was writing it on Odyssey and then it would you know get feedback that's just like yeah no it's not going to work because of you know xyz so there was definitely a lot of that learning that I had to do very quickly because obviously when I got over to the team um you know the a lot of the the writing and the work had already been done like they were very very far into development um and I was only on that team for you know nine or 10 months or so yeah um just about so you know like they were very far into development by that point so like they were go 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 you know there was a lot of stuff where it was like all right design is locked on this we need writing for it though um there was a lot of fast moving a lot of very busy weeks definitely for sure um whereas yeah, that was- odyssey there was like a slow burn where it's like ah we can spend a few weeks in pre-production just to read these books and stuff like that like i didn't get a do chance the research, to do that do the time exactly yeah yeah i was i was, I was gonna ask what uh uh kind of point you came in at that particular stage because you you are listed as a narrative writer there and mm. obviously we'd known about the game for a few years at that particular point you obviously spoke about when you first saw it yourself um and then you're coming in with yeah about 12 months left on the clock that particular yeah. point um that would have been a very different circumstance to what you experienced with 
Assassin's Creed. So what was what was that kind of like? Uh, you've spoken about how you're kind of jumping in the deep end. You're just straight mm. in. Um, there's so much established already at that particular point. So how do you wade through all that? You, you've come aboard. You're on the team. It's official. Mm-hmm. How do you then try and pass through all that information that's already there and make sense of it and and then actually get straight, you know, roads a tire straight on the road and get straight into it. Like that would have been really tricky, I'd imagine. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy, and I think it was probably more difficult than I expected to. Um, you know, I went into it, and obviously, yeah, now I have a game under my belt at least, so I, I have some sort of like semblance, like okay, I can do this um, and everything yeah. like that. But yeah, it was a completely different feel. You know, it's a much smaller team, a much smaller studio. Um, which was great, honestly, because you recognize everybody walking around the office. Like you actually know who's working there. By the time yeah, I left helps. Ubisoft, <laughs> it's like you're walking around and you're like, I'm not sure if you have worked here for years, if you're new, or if you're a guest of someone. Like you just don't know because there's yeah. just so many faces coming in and out. Um, but so it was nice, you know, walking around the Sucker Punch studio and being like, cool. Like I recognize everybody, and we're all working on the same thing together. You know, and there's that feeling of camaraderie of everyone you know pushing on that project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely tough. And I would say there was, uh, a lot of, of drafts and feedback given and stuff like that early on where, you know, you, you go into a new game like that and obviously they're handing you smaller stuff at first just to get you accustomed. And, you know, the writing process is completely different. They're using different tools. So you have to get used to their tool versus what you were using before and, you know, how you deal with all of that. You're learning about their feedback process. You're learning about, you know, their, rules for certain things and dialogue or characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was tough. And honestly, it took a long time, like months to feel like I was, you know, confident enough to be like, okay, I can jump in on a first draft for this and get it done. And, you know, hopefully get for the most part, minimal feedback or at least yeah. stuff that I don't have the knowledge about to elevate this to the next level that people that have been there for years would have like the Japanese history knowledge to kind of be like, okay, yeah, we course. can add this in here to really elevate this. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the stuff that maybe I was producing was, a, you know, s- stuff that I knew, but it wasn't just as deep. So there was a lot of feedback going on to be like, okay, we can actually add this in because in this year X, Y, Z or like, yeah, exactly. So there was definitely a lot of going back and forth with the other writers on the team. Um, A lot of sharing of scripts and getting feedback, especially for me. Um, Yeah. So what was your main focus then within the project? Because again, you're coming into an established project at this particular point in time. So we've already got Jin that's probably largely defined as well as a lot Mm -hmm. of the the periphery characters along the way. Um, How do you, uh, like what, what do you focus on? Is it uh, is it more about side quests? Are mm. you still kind of dabbling a little bit with that core narrative at the same time? How does that? What does that juggling act look like? Yeah, it was definitely. I was kind of in this role where it was whatever they needed, um, and they didn't have the time to do because everyone else was already slammed. Then I would hop in there and try to help out. Um, but yeah, when I arrived, um, especially you know, writing teams are one of the teams that are done earliest in the project because you have to get everything off to localization. Yeah. You have to get everything recorded, um, and the localization date is the biggest one for games like this. Um, so like even on Odyssey, it's like the writers were done, and we were kind of just chilling. And a lot of other teams were in a very very stressful time because they still had a lot of work to do, um, but we were completely done because of that deadline. So. You know, coming in onto this, you know, you're getting to the point where the writing deadlines are coming up quicker and quicker as each month passes. You're like, okay, we know the localization deadline is the big one, the recording deadlines and everything like that. Yep. Um, so obviously at that point, you know, the 
there was a lot of yeah side content and that kind of stuff that was was handed to me um yeah yeah nothing really in like the main story because that had been you know that that had been established you know that was just yeah. getting you know more work done on it by the people that had been working on it already um or just like you know you do a lot of re-recording for lines which is you know very common where it's like oh you know what we had to change this quest because design actually needs to set this quest over here now and we mentioned that tree in the quest in the dialogue but now there is no tree there because now we're there are no trees around or whatever you know yes so you have to re-record that stuff so that you make sure the player still gets the proper information that it's clear that they're talking about the right area that you're in um those little pickups along the way exactly which is you know you have to do you just have to because so much changes in the process um for every single quest where it's like there's just a million and a half things where it's like, oh, we actually can't do this here because of that. Or, you know, what if we move it over here because it's just a way better view? You know, there's just a million things. And you're like, okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. If we have the time, let's do it kind of thing. There's a whole lot of uh, collaboration of people being like, what if we do this? What if we do that? And a lot yeah. of like, okay, we can do that, but maybe not this because it's going to be, you know, too many line pickups or it's going to, you know, add too much to the line count or word count or something like that. So, out of interest, and we'll, we'll try to be respectful here of the fact that the majority of players who are going to play the game, you're probably only just picking it up this week, give or take. Yeah. Uh, so, we, we won't dive too heavy into anything spoiler-based content here, but obviously you were focusing mo- mainly on the, the side the side mm. narratives and those extra stories. Do you have any particular favourites they refer to as the Tales of Tsushima? Um, were there any particular favourites along the way? Because you and I were chatting in the in the lead-up to uh, this, this conversation today, mm-hmm. And I'd been talking about how, you know, very fortunately enough, I had a had a review code and was able to sit there and play it and, and consume it and before we had this chat. And I'd conveyed to you that I was I was getting so wrapped up actually in those side missions that the mm. the core the core narrative and even as of the point that we're recording this uh, this conversation today, I still haven't finished the main campaign because I'm going off and I'm exploring all of these extra side stories. I'm uh, a little bit of a completionist approach as well, where I'm trying to tick off every, unlock mm-hmm. every little space on the map. But those those side stories have just been so incredibly comp- compelling, which is also something I found uh, with Odyssey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you have any particular favorites that you worked on there? With again, without diving too heavily, into yeah, some of for the sure. Stuff, which yeah, is definitely. Tricky, but- yeah, this is definitely one of those games where you know, even if it's like you've picked up the game, I'm so hesitant to, to yeah talk too much about it just because you know, this game is so big on exploration and you coming across a lot of this stuff naturally or, um, you know, like some of the stuff they've shown in the state of play, like following the foxes or, you know, stuff like that. Um, There's just a lot of, it's, I always had a lot of fun just exploring in this game, even when I was playing it like daily, basically. It was just, it was still always fun just to romp around the island. Um, So in vague terms... um, There's obviously different character arcs. There's certainly a multi... Uh, multi-mission sequences that focus on a particular character in their story. Were there any particular ones that you gravitate towards, I guess, a little bit? Without um, necessarily then going into the specifics around that. Maybe something yeah. for someone who's listening now <laughs> to maybe uh, focus their attention a little bit more when they're playing it. Yeah. Um, if you, I'm sure you have, if you have run into the musician. Yes. I, I had some work in, in some of those. Um, and oh, those they're, were, they're really cool. Yeah, big Yeah. Fan. Uh, so those were probably some of the coolest content that I got to work on was those for the reasons that you know. And I that that's one of the things... Well, the the historical very... nature, again, is a big, big deal in those particular things as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, that would have been quite exciting to work on. Yeah, oh, 100%, yeah. And, you know, those those quests in particular were just so big on 
you know, very cool locations and more uh, out there, I guess, gameplay yeah. in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, you have a goal in mind that you know from the start, um, but it's usually a bit more than some of the other quests. Um, so it was cool to, and then, you know, the rewards are great that you get at the end too. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Really, like really they're totally worth doing it. The whole presentation at the beginning and stuff is, is great. Every time you, you do one of those. Um, I think those were great for that reason, because a lot of the, the side quests in this game are, you know, it's definitely quality over quantity. You know, it wasn't like they wanted to make sure like um, our narrative director, you know, our, our lead and our you know creative director and stuff want to make sure that, you know, all the missions in there were really doing something, you know, that they were all really hitting what we wanted them to hit. And if there was one that wasn't, you know, it would just be taken out. It would just be cut. Cause it would be like yeah. either we didn't have enough time to dedicate to it, to really get it to the point that we wanted. And as opposed to being like, ah, well, you know, it's completely written. We basically have the, the mission done. It was like, well, let's just take this one out. Um, they were very big on making sure that it was quality and telling these very personal stories. Cause you know, you're on an island as Jen. You're trying to defend your your homeland, and yeah. all these people are kind of you know that live there are scared, and you know there's a you know an invading force, and it's like, yeah. are we ever going to have our homes back? Are we ever going to live through this? Um, you know, people are starving, people are being taken, people are dying. Um, so you want to so, make sure that any journey he goes on, whether it's a part of the main core path or any of those side objectives, actually feels meaningful and valuable i guess to that is that kind of the, the yeah underlying yeah exactly and just logic. making sure that the people you're interacting with it is a very real thing like the scenarios that you're you're going through are they are real and you're like okay i can see why this person is asking me because to them yeah. you know Jin as the main character is you know or as the ghost is kind of their their one hope right so yeah. they see you as more than just a person um you're you're well beyond just a normal guy at that point yeah. and you know some people will treat you that way and see you as like that and they'll talk to you like that and stuff like that but you know you kind of are their um their one shot at whatever it is that they're asking you to do so even in the very smallest of side quest it's still very important to that person and there's a reason why they're asking Jin to do it because they truly can't do it themselves you know and yeah. i think that's the biggest thing um especially that i learned on odyssey and then going into this into ghost is that when you do side quests one of the biggest questions you want to ask yourself is why can't this person just do it themselves and if they can then there's something in this quest that you need to fix because yeah. if they're asking the player to do it if they're asking alexis or cassandra or Jin to do this for them and they could just walk over there and do it themselves then that's that's not enticing you know that's not like why am i helping this person then um so I think, you know, specifically with Ghost, a lot of the, even the smallest side content is very much like, I am the one that has to do this for this person. Yeah. Otherwise, nobody else will. Um, and I think that... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it definitely adds to the the whole mood and the whole feel of the game as you're going through and the, the character of Jin as you go throughout. So that's probably all we can really dive into specifically when it comes to ghosts. Because again, so many people are listening to the podcast right now. The game's just come out or is just about to come out. Time zones and all that sort of thing might might yeah. play a little bit of havoc with us here. Um, so we don't really want to spoil too much of that for you. I know I personally don't. I've, I've yeah. had a blast with every moment of it and I just don't want to say anything myself yeah. that kind <laughs> exactly. of yeah. puts, puts any... Uh, 
dampens that experience for anyone else, and I'm sure you're much the same. So maybe we'll, we'll cast our eyes a little bit to this point. Where, yeah, at the moment, uh, you, you've you've wrapped up your work on the game mm-hmm. uh, and your your job hunting in 2020, which. Uh, given the current set of circumstances, there's an extra layer on top of uh, that we've got to consider here with uh, with COVID and everything that's doing. Yeah. But what is what is the the process looking like for you at the moment? Who's you've now come from two big AAA titles that both have that mm-hmm. very historical sort of approach. Are you looking for? Are you, is, is it more of a scattergun approach where you're still just kind of looking for anything and everything, or do you ha- is that a particular? sort of game sort of story that you're looking to explore more of you're looking mm. for a change of pace what, what, um, what does that kind of look like for you at the moment i mean i definitely like those games but it's it was kind of just coincidence that i happened to work on two historical games back to back um i do love them but it's not something that i'm actively seeking out if my next project just so happens to you know be in the past in a historical setting then cool yeah um but if not that's cool too uh but yeah you're right it's it's a weird time um, to be looking for a job anyways with COVID and everything like that. And just, you know, interviews and stuff being all online, even if the studio is just down the street, you know, you're still doing Skype interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, which is, you know, they're, they're a little less personable, so it's tough. Um, but everyone's kind of making do, um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, people will be like, you know, Oh, well you, you got two games under your belt now. So like you're, you'll find something super fast. And it's like, well, not true. Like a lot of people in this industry can attest to the fact that there are unfortunately bouts of unemployment or searching, um, especially for writers. A, there are a lot of writing roles that come out that are contract only. Um, yeah. And so, so to find that full time gig is tricky. Yeah. So you're looking for you know either a contract gig or you know full time gig preferably. And then you know when those roles are posted, there's so many people that are applying for them. There's they're very, very highly competitive. So it's yep. not so easy to be like, ah, well, you know, I have two AAA games under my belt. Like, I'm obviously going to get just a job in a week. And, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like that whatsoever. You know, I've already had a lot of rejection so far and a lot of uh, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I'm not looking for anything in particular um, other than the fact that I really, really like it here in the Seattle area. So if I'm doing a full-time gig, I'm looking to stick in the area, which thankfully there's a lot of game studios up here. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those. Easier. It's one of those things that where it's like, there's a lot of studios up here, but also they need to be hiring writers for it to even matter. And who knows if that's going to be one month or one year before they do. Yeah, there's a there's a time and place thing depending on the projects and where they're at. Exactly. So it's like not knowing when those roles will go live and then going up against a lot of people. Um, but other than that, just hoping that, you know, there are more remote roles going live. And I think that a lot of studios and just businesses in general are seeing what a lot of roles can be done remotely. So I'm hoping yeah. that we do see more of that, especially for writing roles, because there's a lot of really good talent out there that can't do what I've done and just up and move their life 3,000 miles twice in a row um, or just for yeah. a contract. You know, it is risky and it is scary and it is, you know, it is something where it's like you could move your entire life and then the project shuts down or the studio closes a month later. Like you just you just don't know. Um, so I'm hoping and that, that is that is the crazy sort of volatile nature of this industry at times. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's like you you honestly just don't know, especially coming onto a project. You never know if there have been talks about shutting it down already or if, you know, there's going to be mass layoffs after a game takes some studios do that. You know, they hire a lot of people, yeah. get the project done, mass layoffs, and then they hire up again, you know, build up the when team they're again. ready. Um, whereas other studios will keep people around and stuff like that. But you, you just don't know. So I'm hoping yeah. that a lot more studios do allow for more remote work. Because there's a lot of good talent out there, for one, that I think needs to have their voices heard. And also, it 
does just make it a lot easier to be like, cool, I can work on this project, but I don't have to move my entire life or worry about, you know, um, a completely new state or worrying about, you know, medical or whatever it may be, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's not been many good things to come out of uh, COVID, but <laughs> I think maybe opening a few eyes to what is possible, not just within uh, game development oh, or creation yeah. either, but in a whole host of different industries, um, it, it's probably highlighted for a lot of people what's actually possible. Again, I, we spoke before about how I'm a teacher and the fact that for uh, our second term of the year there, the te- oh, well, it wasn't the entire term in the end, but there was about seven or eight weeks where... I had to do it in the same position I am right now, chatting to you uh, online and right. I'd you know, be firing up calls to students and it worked out really well. There's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, there's there's little advantages and disadvantages and things that you need to consider that maybe you didn't have to consider before. Yeah. But it shows that that's an option for people if, if that's the hand you're dealt for whatever reason. Hopefully, we don't encounter anything like this again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, shows that, it shows that there's there's pros and cons to these things that maybe you would never have even explored in the first place because you weren't dealt that circumstance. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully exactly. that benefits you and others like you that are looking for these opportunities and and yeah. uh, the studios are in positions and have had that that moment, that revelatory yeah. moment. Go, well, <laughs> may, maybe this maybe this is an option we can, and we don't need to uproot someone's life. Exactly, and expect them to move internationally or or even just another state. Yeah, but they um, might be able to do it from there. And I think, especially you know, for a lot of the roles that existed in the past, they were short-term contract roles that they would do because they'd be like, okay, we're not going to make you move out here for a three-month little contract. Um, So hopefully there's a lot more permanent roles that pop up with that. And there's just, you know, there's so much more that comes from it. Like I've, I've had terrible commutes before. Thankfully I've, I've, you know, for Sucker Punch, I was uh, like a mile away from the office so I could walk in or just take the bus, which was super nice. Um, At Ubisoft, I was like a three-minute walk. But I've also worked at studios where I was doing an hour and a half drive both ways if traffic was okay. And it's like, you know, all of that time saved for a lot of people who suddenly are, you know, saving an hour, two hours of their day because they're not commuting or worrying about that is like, that's a huge gain in, you know, happiness in general. You know, it's like I was, Oh yeah. You take that commute out. makes a big difference. Yeah. Like I was, I would be in the worst moods after some of those drives, like doing it five <laughs> days a week, realizing I'm spending like 12 hours in my car, just driving. And I'm like, that's half a day. I'm wasting every five days just in my car. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. So, and there are a lot of people that have to do that because, you know, they have their lives where they have them or depending on where the studios are, if they're, you know, very much in the heart of the city and it's like, okay, well, there's not really any parking there or parking's $1,000 a month, you know, if you're like in the Bay Area, you know, it's just crazy stuff, right? Yeah, it's and rough. It's just like, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we as an industry learn a lot from this. Yeah, hopefully some good comes out of this. Fingers crossed. <laughs> So as we kind of cycle back into you, we've obviously spoken a lot about the games and the projects and those experiences along the way, but as we cycle back to you and I guess a broader, more big picture sort of um, focus here, is there anyone out there that you've worked with or maybe that you look at from the outside that really inspires you and the way you approach uh, your writing in games? Mm. And maybe it's not even someone who's actually a part of the industry. Maybe it's someone, you know, Someone who write, writes books or has been you know, a scriptwriter in film or whatever, whatever it might happen to be. Is there anyone there that you, you kind of look at that served as a model in the past or even currently? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of stuff um, growing up and even to now, like my favorite genres are, are fantasy. Like that's my, that's my number one and then closely by sci-fi because, you know, they're, they're closely related. Um, yeah. And obviously there, there are a lot of games out there that I play and thankfully I'm able to play them and still as a person that plays games and not 
constantly looking at it to critique it. A P it. that's, yeah. Yeah, which is like, it can be tough because every time I play a game with a, a very good story, I know that I need to be looking at it with the critiquing eye and be like, okay, what did I like about that scene? What didn't I like? Or what did they do? And looking at it from, you know, yeah. the industry eye, but I just enjoy playing games so much that I'm still able to have that kind of separation and still just Consume be like, a focus. Yeah, I'm just in it just to enjoy this. Um, even though I'm probably missing out on a whole bunch of learnings by not looking at it with the critical eye. Um, but there's so but I at the try same not time to, to be able to bring both perspectives can be handy though I'd imagine to your work. What, what's it going to be like for someone who just picks this up and isn't looking to pick the teeth out of it that just wants to pick up and play and enjoy the experience? Yeah. So I'm it, sure that's valuable as well. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because there were you know there were moments where you do need to look at it from the player perspective as someone yeah. playing it for the first time because especially when you're you're writing a script and you're working on a mission for you know, weeks or months or whatever, like you've played it so many times at that point. And there's stuff that you know that you want to get across, but maybe aren't getting across anymore, or maybe the gameplay's yep. a little off or whatever. Um, so you, it does help to look at it to be like, okay, if I was sitting down as a player and this is the first time I'd ever seen it, what would I think about it just as a player, not as a writer, not as someone working, like just as a player. Um, yep. And so that is super useful to be able to do, which is, which is nice. Um, so I try not to do that with games, even though there, you know, there's a whole host of writers on Twitter that I follow and interact with and stuff. And yeah. so, so many of them I respect and I'm just like, how do you do what you do? Because you are so talented. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of just, you know, fiction and novel writers. Like I think one that I respect a lot is Brandon Sanderson, um, oh, yes. who writes these massive, massive novels so well thought out, like these very unique magic systems, these worlds that are easily, you know, believable, amazing characters. And then he just cranks out these books just faster than anyone. Unbelievable pace. Yeah. Yeah. Just an insane pace. And you're just like, not only are these books fantastic in the genre and you're doing amazing stuff. Like it's not just, you know, normal fiction where it's like, okay, let me come up with a good story um, and just get it out there. It's like, no, I'm going to come up with a very unique magic system and a whole world and all of this other stuff in the history and all that kind of stuff. And then it's going to be 1200 pages and it's going to be the sixth book in the series. And I'm also working on three other books and they're all going to be done next year. And you'll year. see them like, in, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like uh, waiting on Winds of Winter if you're a Game of Thrones yeah. fan. It's <laughs> exactly. just ballooned out to, I don't know, what are we now, 15 years? Too long, I'm sure, it's, in the eyes of many. It's been a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think for, for someone like that, it's just, I have a lot of respect for him just because of the types of stuff that he writes where I'm just like, man, I wish that I could create one of these in my lifetime. And he's doing like two, three a year that I'm just like, I just want to do one in my lifetime. And you're, you're, you're on like number 40 at this point. Like, how do you do this? It's insane. Um, I just respect that, that drive and that passion, especially for yeah. like he, for the most part sticks with his, with the fantasy genre. Like he's gone out of it a little bit, but you know, for the most part it's fantasy. And yet he still isn't, you know, rehashing ideas. It's, all so unique feels original so interesting and even with those super long series like they still grab you and you want to stay in this world for ten thousand total pages 15 you know it's, yeah. it's insane um so i think i respect that a lot because he's creating worlds and characters that you do want to spend so much of your time on and i think that's that's the ultimate goal for any writer is to to create a character or a book like that where people are like i want to spend i want seven more books because of this character you know that's that's yeah. that's the goal what have been some of the most valuable lessons you've picked up over your time so far? Again, having worked on some really small projects, mm -hmm. small scopes, small studios, small uh, everything, and then some of the biggest, some with some of the biggest studios out there. 
what like there's obviously very contrasting different sorts of experiences mm-hmm. there have there been any particularly valuable valuable lessons you've picked up along the way oh yeah 100 you know, that really molded the way you approach your writing yeah i think um a big one is especially for for writing is that you're going to be getting a lot of feedback from a lot of different places and especially from writers who are hopefully better writers than you like i never yeah. want to be the best writer in the room at all um i always want to be you know, have someone that can destroy my script and be like, and here's why. And I can be like, whoa, yeah, you're totally right. That's way better. It's an opportunity to to learn from it as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think one of the biggest things is that you can't take that kind of feedback negatively. A lot of people will write something and they can't take that feedback. And so they take it personally and think, oh, you're talking, you're giving negative feedback and that affects me as a person kind of thing. And it's like, no, it's literally just about the writing. Um, so the biggest thing you can do is just accept that it's about the writing. Yeah, see it like you said. It's it's an opportunity to make this better. And ultimately, you know, that's um, what I always tell teams that I work with is that that's my biggest goal is that, like, I'm not precious about that kind of stuff. It's that if I'm getting feedback and you found a way to make it better or to get my point across better or to cut out a huge chunk because it was too superfluous or whatever, it's like, let's do it. I just want to make the yeah. best content that I possibly can. Um, and that's, that's honestly all I care about. Like you can't be precious about wanting every line that you write to get in because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, every... I mean the, the nature of development in the first place is a very iterative sort of process. So there's going to be refinements and changes and tweaks anyway. Yeah. A hundred percent. Regardless oh, yeah. of what there's so much within that you're a part of. So much collaboration. Um, and you just have to realize that and accept that and realize that your best work will come out of that. Um, yeah. everything that I've written that has had, you know, multiple drafts and feedback from, you know, writers that I've respected and who I saw as better writers than myself, um, every single bit of content was far better for it because I was taking their feedback and implementing it in a way, because I realized that yes, this feedback that they are giving is, is super useful and it is making this content better. Um, but also it's good to know when to fight back a bit too, which is, you know, seems opposite to be like, okay, take all the feedback, but then know what stuff to fight on, which stuff not to. Uh, yeah, still, no, that makes sense. Yeah, you still do need to say no at times, especially when you're working with other teams or design and stuff. And they're like, I want to do this huge change, and that's going to completely get rid of this aspect of the narrative. And you're like, well, that was kind of the whole story I was telling there. So maybe, no. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, sometimes you're saying no, sometimes they're saying no, sometimes, you know, most times you're you're figuring out a solution to together a um, while not trying to lose the the essence of what you were going for. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, a big thing is just you need to be able to, to work with other people to be able to speak and get your ideas across so that they understand what you're going for, but then also being able, willing to change everything if it means that, the you know, it's going to be better in the long run. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, now, I, I suspect having worked with, again, some really uh, high-profile games and studios, I, sp- I suspect I've got a rough idea where, uh, what some of the highlights from your career might be. But what have been, what have been some of those real highlights? So I guess, you know, you're having that rough day or uh, or whatever it might happen to be. What, what are some of those things that you look back on really fondly from, from your career mm. so far? Um, oh, man. Yeah, there's so many. I think it's just really cool. I mean, it's as a writer especially it never gets old hearing stuff that you wrote read by you know actors and actresses like it, it just never gets old it's so cool that laura bailey moment yeah exactly it's like you have that laura bailey moment you have that uh you know there's just so many amazing actors and actresses out there 
and they're reading your stuff and you're like, this is the coolest thing. It was in my head and then it was on paper and now it's being read in a way better way than I could ever read it in my entire life. This <laughs> is so cool. Um, and it just feels so real. So we're all just, we're all just working towards that Laura Bailey moment. Yeah, then, basically. That? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all just, we're all awesome. just working toward that Laura Bailey moment. Um, yeah. And it's just, there's a lot of moments like that or just, I remember when, for Odyssey, we were all sitting in the auditorium when E3 was going on one year, and it was like the first time they were properly showing it off. Like it, it got leaked, like all Ubisoft games do. With the, <laughs> yeah. I think Odyssey was the uh, the, the keychain from the last GameStop or something. It was like a Spartan keychain or something. You know, they can't help it. It's... Yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> it happens, especially when you have to get merch out there. It's like someone's gonna leak it. Um, but I remember sitting in the auditorium and like watching that reveal trailer and knowing that like hundreds of thousands of other people were watching it at the same time for the first time and like seeing yeah. some of the stuff that you created or helped create. Um, and like I 100% cried during that moment. Cause it was like the first big game I'd worked on. It's being shown at E3. It's on the big screen. Like it's just such a cool Million, Millions feeling. of people watching. Yeah. And it's just, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I straight up just bawled my eyes out around like, 300 other people in the studio and i was like i don't even care because this is just like they're all doing the same thing yeah exactly it was just like (laughs) so you have those moments that that do make it so worth it um and it's just some of the best feeling especially like as a creative being able to see your stuff come to life is just the coolest thing and i think it's why you know i want to stick with this is because i i mean i love games in general and playing them and i always have and then i love stories and i just love the interactive aspect like sure i would love to do tv and movies one day like you know of course i would love to do a tv show or like an animated tv show or something like that or get into novels um but games will always have a special place in my heart so even if there's a point in the future where i get out of games you know there's probably still a chance that i'll be like Maybe I can, you know, throw some writing into a small indie game or something like that, you know, yeah. just to keep it going. Cause Keeping I just... that same. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it'll always be something that I'm trying to do for sure. No, that's fantastic. Uh, one slightly curly one before we wrap things up. All right. Uh, if there was, I don't think it's too bad. And if, if you've listened to any of the past episodes, then you'll know this is coming already. <laughs> uh, but if there was any one game that's ever existed, you could retroactively add your name into the credits for as being some in some way, shape or form responsible for. Maybe it's in the writing space. Ooh. Maybe it's for some other reason. Maybe it's even just for special thanks if that's all you really wanted as well. Um, what game would that be? Oh, God. Oh, man. That is, that is a tough one because there are so many games that I have that feeling toward where I finish it and I'm just like, damn. I could have done that. I yeah, would have loved I, to be a part of that. that. Um is there one that sticks out more than the others? If, if, if you need to list a few, that's fine as well, of course. But is there one in particular that stands out? Uh, I mean, I think for the longest time, it was, it was definitely the first Last of Us. Um, I haven't yep. finished the second one yet. But after playing the first Last of Us like, and just having that game focused mainly on essentially two people the entire game and that journey, yep. and it, was just, it, it hit me in a place so hard. And I was like, I would have loved to have been a part of that project. Um, Cause it was just, I love that narrative. I loved that story and the connection of Joel and Ellie and everything like that. Um, so it was definitely that game where finishing it, I was just like, would have loved that. But there's, there's a million, obviously like I would love to have been a part of like persona five or four. Like I love the persona yep. series. It would never happen because they're Japanese games, but my God, I would and love you're trying to... to avoid moving around. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> 
and like you know there's games like that that i just you know love the basically any game that has a lot of good character interaction or a really good good story uh yeah i'm just like oh i would have loved to work on that um the newest like the spider-man game god of war like there's there's so many yeah. just amazing games that have come out that i would love to have been part of but also glad i'm not because then i gotta completely just play it you know it's, it's like that you, consumer focus thing again exactly as to the critical eye yeah because it's a completely no, that's, different that's thing awesome. it's like i've never played odyssey because i worked on it for you know multiple years and at that point i just you can't do it and it's a pretty common thing for people to like burnt out on it a little bit yeah it's like you've, that, you've seen yeah. it so much you've you've played it so much at that point that it's like you can't really get that fresh experience um and it's really common in the industry that people just don't play the games that they work on a lot of times um but because i wasn't on ghost for you know three years i was only on it for nine months even though i know everything that happens in it and all yeah. the gameplay and stuff i'm absolutely gonna play that game which is probably the best compliment i can give it is that i still want to play it after knowing everything about it and playing it a whole lot for nine months straight, I'm, I'm yeah, still going to awesome. do a full playthrough, like 100%. Good. Yeah. Uh, maybe we, we can look forward to some little thoughts uh, once the game's out and you can start oh, hopping yeah. some little things on Twitter 100%. and telling people all about it, which is pro- probably the perfect segue to the final point. Uh, if people are looking to uh, track what you're up to, reach out to you, uh, learn more about you and what you're up to, uh, where would they be best to go? Yeah, uh, so I'm on Twitter literally all the time because what else am I doing right now? Nothing. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me there. Uh, my handle's at cryptic Jordan. Um, and then sometimes like I, I'll stream on Twitch sometimes. So I'll post on my Twitter when I'm doing that. So I may, yeah. who knows, maybe I'll do a full ghost playthrough on Twitch and just That'd stream cool. the whole thing and just talk about my time on the project and certain things that I I'd did and that. stuff like that. So yeah, maybe able to see that. Uh, but yeah, just, just Twitter. That's where I'm at. I live there. So, so to your point a moment ago, then if if all of a sudden with the, these regular tweets, if all of a sudden he goes silent, you know he's landed himself a really awesome gig and he's he's now focusing back on the yeah. work again. <laughs> That's true, yeah. If my tweets so per look day go from like 12. 12 to 2, you know something happened. <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah, so uh, I do I do wish you well in that search because it is, it is a tricky period anyway on top of this horrible pandemic at the same time. Um, so hopefully, hopefully an opportunity avails itself sometime soon and you land yourself... Uh, some time on a project that really inspires you and that you well i mean from everything i've seen from both assassins and ghost uh, i'm sure you'll do a fantastic job with it and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing whatever comes of that next thank you so much i appreciate that uh thank you very much for giving me your time for the show as well i really appreciate it that's basically twitter twitter which allowed yeah. us to connect to the first <laughs> person allowed to make this happen so uh to that point before if you want to reach out to him easily done so yeah. feel free to feel free to do the same maybe don't bombard him with a million uh, hey can you come on my podcast <laughs> I'm lucky there but um but I do really appreciate it thank you very much for your time no this was great honestly it was great talking and I, I'm, ex- I'm excited to be able to say more once the game is fully out because uh, yeah, I, so I want to talk about it so much look, look to his twitter feed for a lot of thoughts there but listeners as always thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Jordan's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.